following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. Genesis chapter 22 is, is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, but before I read the passage, I begin with a question. What is your worst nightmare? Now, how's that for a positive, hopeful way to introduce a sermon? What is your worst nightmare, all right? I promise we're going to get to some really encouraging, hopeful uh, things this morning, but before we do, what do you fear the most? Now, the analyticals among us are trying to think right now about what would be the the right answer theologically uh, to to that question, what should I fear the most? But, But if you go with your gut, I think most people would say that Their greatest fear is some sort of tremendous suffering or even death. Whether it's your own death, the death of a spouse, the death of your parents, the death of your children. Maybe you dread hearing the word Alzheimer's or cancer. Maybe you dread getting that awful phone call that your spouse or one of your parents is gone. Probably for most people, losing a child takes the cake. You know, that, that you can't imagine what it would be like if, if somehow one of your kids got sick. I remember a few years ago, uh, Heidi had herself convinced for a couple of days, and she had my, me pretty worried that Isaac had leukemia. And uh, we were uh, really worried there for a couple of days until we, we got results back and confirmed that that wasn't the case. But, but this morning, we're going to look at a story that, that takes all of those awful nightmares and apart from the perspective of faith, magnifies them by 10. I want to read Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. It says, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey And I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, 
since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Folks, this is an incredible story, an incredible story. And, um, and it's, it's every parent's worst nightmare on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's a story full of hope and encouragement and, and, and blessing. It's, it's a wonderful picture of the gospel. And of course, it's also a story that is deeply challenging because Abraham in this passage sets the preeminent biblical example of, of life-transforming faith. And that's why uh, we are in this passage today because our theme this year as a church is transforming faith. And so I can't think of a better passage in all the Bible that exemplifies for us what it means to fulfill the theme that we're talking about this year of having life-transforming faith. And, and so the story begins in verses 1 and 2 where we hear that God tests Abraham. God tests Abraham. Now, now, the passage begins by saying that it came about after these things. Now, and so it's important, if we're going to appreciate this story, appreciate this passage, that we think about what are these things that had taken place. And if you know the story of Abraham, there's a lot of background to this. So remember that, that Abraham's story begins when God calls him as a pagan man out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees, and tells him to go to Canaan because God is going to make a great nation of Abraham's descendants. But of course, there's one big problem. And that is that they have no kids. And Sarah is barren. She, she is unable to have children. And they're not spring chickens either. When, when, God, when they reach the land of Canaan, Abraham is already 75 years old. And Sarah is 65 years old. And so they get there, and God makes them wait. They wait, and they wait for a child. They wait to the point that finally Sarah gives up, and she says, it's not going to happen. So Abraham, you just marry my handmaiden Hagar, have a son by him, and he can be the heir. And so Abraham listens to Sarah, and he marries Hagar, and sure enough, they have a child named Ishmael. But that wasn't God's plan, and so... Even after Ishmael was born, God says that Sarah will give birth to the child through whom God will fulfill the covenant. And Abraham and Sarah, they can't believe it. They laugh at, at God's promise. But God kept His word. And finally, after 25 years of waiting and moving around the desert, Sarah gives birth to Isaac. When she is 90 years old, and Abraham is 100 years old. Now imagine how thrilled they must have been. You know, because, I mean, it's one thing, you know, I mean, I mean there's all sorts of things coming together, right? So, so on the one hand, you know, it's, it, it's, it's just a special joy to have a child when, when you have struggled with infertility like they had. As well, they're old. I mean, Sarah had a baby when she was 90 years old. And to top it all off, this is the child. That God said He would give them and through whom He... I mean, He was going to build all of redemptive history on the shoulders of this little boy. So, so, so this is a lot of significant background. 
And now, uh, by the time we come to this chapter, several years have passed. We don't know exactly how long it has been, but, but I would estimate it's probably been at least 15 or 16 years. And I say that because, because later in the story, Isaac is going to be asked to carry enough firewood up a mountain to burn a large sacrifice. You're not asking a five-year-old to do that. He's got to have at least a little bit of man strength. So, so you figure he's got to be at least 15 or 16 years old if he's going to carry this large amount of wood up a mountain. And, and, so, and so, so for 15, 16 years, let's say, Abraham and Sarah have been living the dream. They have their child. They're, they're, they're you know, finally getting settled and they can see what God is doing. And then one day, out of the blue, God drops a bombshell on Abraham. And so verse 2 says that God says to him, Take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains. Now, now folks, that is exactly what it sounds like. God commands him to kill his son and to burn him as a burnt offering to God. And, it's, and again, it's, it's every parent's worst nightmare. I mean, can you imagine receiving that sort of command from God? Now, it's worth noting that, that that sort of command would not have been surprising if it were coming from one of the pagan gods in the surrounding nations. Sadly, child sacrifice was quite common in, in the pagan world of that day and and so it was pretty normal for, for people to sacrifice babies in particular to God, so probably not kids quite the age of Isaac. But, but child sacrifice was not normal coming from the mouth of our God. Our, our God's different, right? He is righteous, He's holy, and He's good. And our God values life, and our God loves every one of His image bearers down to the most small child, the, the smallest infant. So if you're Abraham, you are shocked that God is telling you to do this with your child. And that's why the narrator feels the need to to preface this whole story by telling us right up front that this is a test. He doesn't want to wait around to tell us that fact because, because this is so out of character from what we would expect from our God. And so Leviticus chapter 20, later on, God would tell Israel in Leviticus 20 verses 1 through 5 that if anyone in Israel participates in child sacrifice, that they are to be executed. And then later, uh, centuries later, in uh, Jeremiah 32 verse 35, God uh, condemns the, the, the tribe of Judah because they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech. So Molech was an ancient deity that that was uh, regularly involved in, in, in child sacrifice, and so they would, they would burn the child on, uh, literally on the hands of the, of the red-hot idol to Molech. And so God says, I had not commanded them to do this, nor had it entered my mind that they should do this abomination. So I think it's very important to be clear when we look at a story like this, that God never intended for, God, for Abraham to kill Isaac. And he never would have allowed it to happen. So so this is a test from the beginning, and the author wants us to know that. But of course, while we know it's a test, Abraham, when when God gives the command, God doesn't say, now by the way, Abraham, this is just a test. No, he just says, go to the mountain, kill your son, and burn him as a sacrifice to me. 
And God acknowledges to Abraham up front that this is a high demand. He says in verse 2 that he is, he calls Isaac your son, your only son whom you love. Now, now we might read that and think, is God mistaken? Because doesn't Abraham have two sons? And he does, right? He has Ishmael and Isaac. They are both his children, but, but in terms of the Abrahamic covenant, that the promise that God had made to raise up a nation through Abraham's son that was solely belonging to Isaac. And so, that covenant then, that really compounds this whole thing, right? I mean, this is not just Abraham's child. This is the one that God had promised to fulfill his promises through. So, so all of God's promise. I mean, Abraham's whole life had been built on what God said he was going to do through this child. And now, God is asking him to kill him? I mean, imagine what you would do if you were in Abraham's shoes. I mean, Abraham had to be stunned. Because what God was telling him to do, was, was it violated everything, that, that every natural impulse of his heart as a parent. It, it went against everything that, that he had always understood God to be. And it threatened the promises on which Abraham had built his whole life. Now, how would you respond if you were Abraham? Now, I wonder, do you you think he told Sarah what God told him to do? Now, I I tend to think that he probably didn't, you know, because most guys, we wouldn't tell our wives. You know, we we, we just want to bear that burden alone. And so, I I tend to think he probably didn't, but maybe he did. And and who knows for sure and what Sarah's response would have been. And, uh, but regardless, the, the narrator uh, focuses very much on Abraham and his faith in the situation. And so as the readers, we're left with two questions. First of all, will Abraham obey? And then second, God told us this is a test. So how in the world is God going to resolve this? Well, verses 3 through 12 uh, tell us, answer the first of those questions and tell us that Abraham incredibly obeys the Lord. Now, now you might begin reading verse 3 and think that verse 3 sounds a bit anticlimactic. So, you know, just imagine if, if Hollywood were to make a movie out of this story, think of all that they would add between verse 2 and 3. You know, there would be, you know, these, these huge emotional moments. You know, there would be these scenes with Abraham weeping and crying and yelling at God and and kicking things and throwing things. And of course, it would all climax with Sarah you know, blowing up and throwing things at Abraham and saying, don't you dare kill my child. And you know, it would be all huge and, and dramatic. But God doesn't give us any of that, does He? No. In verse 2, God gives the command. And verse 3 immediately jumps to Abraham's preparations for the journey. So, so the text gives no indication that Abraham ever seriously considered disobeying God. And I don't think that we should interject those things into the story. Because, I mean, the whole focus of the narrator in this story is on Abraham's absolute trust in the Lord and commitment to do his will. And so, and so it seems that when God gave the command, Abraham immediately committed to obey the Lord. In fact, I mean, again, Abraham's resolve to obey God is the primary theme of the story. And how in the world did he have that resolve? Well, verse 12 tells us 
When God commends Abraham because he fears the Lord. And so, so how in the world could Abraham commit to obey a command like this? Well, it's because he has a grand vision of God. He understands that God is great. And, and Abraham, of course, at this time he had served the Lord for, for roughly 40 years or so. And he had watched what God does to rebellious people, right? He had watched God rain fire down on Sodom for their rebellion. And he had also seen the faithfulness of God and the fact that after, after a long time of waiting, God gave them uh, Isaac. And, and now, as a mature saint, as a mature saint, I mean, Abraham's faith had wavered plenty of times. We, we see that earlier in Genesis, that there were plenty of times where his faith had not been as strong as it needed to be. But now, as a mature saint, he has a big view of God. He sees that God is the sovereign Lord of the universe. And that we must obey everything that He commands at all costs to ourselves. And he also knows that there is no challenge too big for God. Because He is all-powerful. And He is sure that God will keep every promise. Because He has seen God keep His promises. And so Abraham here, he, he doesn't make it more complicated than it ought to be. He just trusts the Lord and commits to obey His will. Now, of course, we don't always make it so simple, do we? We, we, we like to complicate obedience. Now, sometimes God, God tells us to do something in His Word, or we know this is what God would have us do, but we think, well, maybe God didn't quite get that one right. Maybe this time I know a little bit better than God does. You know, or, or we think, well... You know, I, you know, maybe I can bargain with God here. You know, maybe, maybe I'll, you know, I'll do this part that God says, and if I do this part, then surely He won't care if I don't do this part. Or I'll do this really big thing for Him over here so that I can hold on to this over here. We question, we doubt, we go back and forth. We make it difficult. But that's not how a mature Christian behaves. No, instead, when the sovereign Lord says jump, we say how high. So keep it simple. Believe everything that God tells you in His Word. Believe that it is good and true and authoritative. And when God gives you a command, no matter how costly it may be, no matter how much it may not make sense to you, obey it by His grace. And that's what Abraham did. But while Abraham immediately seems like he'll pass the test, I think the story still is, is, is set up to, to, to build some tension in our mind. We see that, uh, I think, in there in verse 3 because, because verse 3 walks very deliberately through a, through a number of details that, that, frankly, are not central to the story. You know, why does he tell us about him splitting wood and you know, getting his donkey ready to go and things of that nature? Well, it seems like he, he wants us to imagine Abraham, you know, first of all, waking up early on that fateful heavy day you know, and, and even though he's committed to obeying God, I mean, his heart is, is flooded with all sorts of emotion. And then we read about his deliberate preparations. You know, so, so that we can feel the weight that Abraham feels in his heart. And, and he doesn't have to tell us what Abraham felt because we know what he felt. And, and how weighed down he surely was as he saddles the donkey. And then, the text tells us, as he splits the wood that God has told him to use to burn his own child. 
What a heavy, heavy thought. And then he sets out with Isaac and two servants. And it's a heavy scene. And even though we know that it's only a test, we have no idea if we're reading the story the first time how it's going to work out or what horrible experience Abraham is going to have to endure in order to pass the test. And of course, to make matters worse, God doesn't just let him get it over with, does he? No, he says you have to travel for three days to Moriah in order to fulfill this command. Now, it's interesting that Moriah is only, that, that word Moriah is only mentioned one other time in the Bible, and that is in 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1, which says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So, so three very important things happen in the Old Testament on this mountain. So first of all, of course, this is the place where God told Abraham to go and sacrifice his son. It's also the place where, where David offered a sacrifice to the Lord after he committed the sin of numbering the people. And then ultimately, it's the same place where Solomon would build the temple someday. Now, all of that is very significant. And of course, we can see all of that because we have the rest of the story. You know, but Abraham, he doesn't know anything about David. And he doesn't know anything about Solomon building a temple there. He just knows that God has commanded him to go on this grueling three-day journey with his beloved son, whom God has commanded him to kill and sacrifice. Well, they set out. They take off, and finally, after three days, they reach Moriah. Now, notice Abraham's stunning instructions to his servant in verse 5. He says, stay here with the donkey, and I, will, I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Now, now what stands out in that statement as surprising is that he says, we will return. He doesn't just say me. He says, both of us are coming back. Now, is Abraham lying just so that Isaac will go along? Is he crazy? No. The Bible gives us an inspired record of what Abraham was thinking in Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19, which say, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now, folks, that is incredible faith. Incredible faith. I mean, Abraham, I mean, by the time they reach Moriah, Abraham has thought this through. I mean, he's had at least three days, maybe longer, to to think about how this is all going to play out. And, and so, you know, just trying to enter the Abraham's mind. I mean, Abraham, he, again, he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. But, but he is sure that God said to him that Isaac was going to be the father of a great nation. God said that was going to happen. And, and Abraham was not going to doubt God. So he figured, well, if, if Isaac dies before he has any children, God must plan to raise him from the dead. That was his life. And that, folks, is life-transforming faith. 
Because Abraham expected something that most people would not even imagine. I mean, most people wouldn't even think of that. Well, well maybe God's going to raise him from the dead. No, no, we would jump to, to much worse conclusions. And the reason he got there was because he really believed that God is all-powerful. That even something like death was a small obstacle to God. And he also believed that God absolutely would keep his word. So, so the only solution that Abraham could conceive was that God planned to raise Isaac from the dead. And that's incredible. Of course, it's one thing to sit here and think, yeah, you know, in theory, God could raise a child from the dead. It'd be another thing to, like, put a knife through the neck of a child, believing that God could raise him from the dead. It's incredible faith. And so, Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham gives these instructions to the servant, and, and then... Uh, they head up the mountain, and, and the text tells us that Isaac gets the responsibility of carrying all the firewood. It's put on his back, and he's got to carry it up the mountain. And, and as well, uh, Abraham, Abraham's got a little easier. He just has to carry the knife with which he is supposed to kill the sacrifice and, and the fire to burn it. And so imagine, uh, I, Abraham and Isaac, they're walking along quietly. And uh, Isaac, Isaac's a thinker. You know, and Isaac has, has watched a lot of sacrifices over the years. He's watched his dad do this many times. And, and, he, and he notices that, that we're missing something, Dad. And he says, you know, Dad, we, we've got the fire and we've got the wood, but we need a lamb if we're going to offer a sacrifice. And, uh, and Abraham, you know, again, he's had a few days to think about this. Abraham knew that question was coming. And, uh, and so Abraham, you know, he doesn't burst into tears, you know, and, and you weep and mourn over what's going on. And, and as well, he, he doesn't just unload on Isaac about, you know, God's horrible command or, or just tell him everything that's going on. No, no it seems that, that Abraham is concerned here to also fill, build the faith of his own son. And so he includes Isaac in anticipating what God is going to do, and he simply tells him in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Now, now considering the circumstances, that is an incredibly calm and, and moving expression of faith. Mom's out there. Do you think you could have got through that line? You know, and, and so Abraham, he, he's, he's focused He's trusting the Lord, and he believes that God is going to provide. Now, now I think it's worth noting that this is, this is the point in the story where, where a, lot of, a, a lot of people uh, jump to the gospel, right? Because, you know, because Abraham's here says, God will provide a lamb, and so we want to jump to this as a prophecy about Jesus' death on the cross and, and about the ultimate lamb of God that, that God will provide someday through Christ. And it's important to emphasize that that idea is clearly present here in the mind of God because Hebrews 11, verse 19, the verse on the screen says that Abraham received Isaac back as a type. But, but the narrator here is, is more focused on Abraham's faith. So I think it's important that we give Abraham his due before we jump to the gospel implications of what's going on. 
And, and so Abraham here, he doesn't just talk the talk of faith, does he? There's a lot of people in our society, you, you walk up to them and say, you know, are you a Christian or not? And there's a lot of people who say, yes, I am a person of faith. You heard that phrase before, person of faith. And, and so they, they'll say they believe, they'll say they believe in God, but, but, but they don't live like they truly believe that, that God is the sovereign Lord and that His Word is true and authoritative. In fact, a lot of people that will tell you they're people of faith, they're their faith really doesn't do a whole lot to change their lives other than you know, kind of change the decor a bit. But not Abraham. His faith in the Lord transformed his life. It changed everything. And apparently, it changed Isaac's also. Because he's satisfied with his dad's answer. He says, okay, you know, God's going to provide. And so... Two of them walked on together. And then finally, Abraham and Isaac reached the top of the mountain. And still, God has given no hint that he is not going to make Abraham go through with this. And so Abraham and Isaac, they begin collecting rocks and building an altar there on the top of the mountain. And you wonder, what's what's Abraham thinking? Because because the moment of truth is, is getting really close. You know, is he just calm and collected and focused? Is he overwhelmed? Is he moving as slow as possible or as fast as possible to just get it done? And eventually they finish the altar. And then they arrange the wood underneath. And again, maybe Abraham's thinking, all right, Lord, when are you going to say stop? When are you going to stop me? But God's not saying anything. He's not hearing anything at all. And then finally... At some point, Abraham has to tell Isaac exactly what God had said. He has to say, Isaac, God told me that I am to put you on this altar and I am to sacrifice you. Now, that had to be a really tough moment. And Isaac here is either a very submissive son or he also has tremendous faith because, you know, again, if he is... At 15, 16 years old, there's no way that dad, who's 115, is going to wrestle him onto that altar and tie him up uh, against Isaac's will. And so we have to imagine that, that Isaac willingly climbs up on the altar, lays down, and allows his dad to tie his hands and his feet. And, and Abraham is still thinking, God, you can stop me at any point. But he continues to go forward. And then finally, he, he pulls out the knife and he raises it over his head, fully intending to go through with this because Abraham fears the Lord. I mean, if God tells him to do something, it doesn't matter what it is. If the sovereign God says, do it, I must do it. And he believes that even the death of Isaac cannot stop God from fulfilling his word. And then just as he begins to thrust the knife down, he, he, uh, he hears the most wonderful sound he's ever heard. The angel Lord cries out, Abraham, Abraham. And it stops him in his tracks. Now, if you or I, if you or I were in Abraham's position, that might be the moment where we just burst into tears. We go crazy with emotion or we say, God, how could you make me do this? How could you be so mean? But instead, Abraham humbly answers, here I am. 
And there's just incredible humility, reverence, submission. And then verse 12 follows with God's incredible evaluation. He says, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, now it's worth noting here that, that God, it's, it's not as if God didn't actually know this or, or didn't know what Abraham would do. God knows all things. He knows the future perfectly, and so there's no surprise for God. No, what God is doing here is he is speaking in a way that we can understand so, so that he can highlight for us the incredible faith of Abraham and the significance of what he's doing. And, and so this is God's chance to highlight not just for Abraham and Isaac, but for all generations what it is to have to, to fear the Lord and to walk by faith. And so Abraham has shown that he truly feared God since he did not withhold from God anything. Instead, he is willing to make the greatest sacrifice imaginable if God demanded it. I wonder, do you fear God like that? Do you have that kind of life-transforming faith? Is there any sacrifice, any sacrifice that God could call you to make and you would say, no. That's too much, God. That is too much. Or like Abraham, are your hands open and say, God, whatever you want, you can have. Now, of course, it's easy to sit here in church and say, yes, yes, I would give God anything God asked for. But what does your daily life demonstrate? Do you live like someone who fears God, who believes every promise is true, and like someone who is willing to obey whatever God demands? Or do you live like someone who's trying to, trying to bargain with God? Right? Like, like, I'll do these 90% of the things that you want, but this 10% over here is mine. Or, or I'll do this if you give me that. I'll hold on to this. I'll give you that. Or do I fear God and whatever he wants, he can have? And what about your investment in ministry and the Great Commission? Do you live like someone who really believes that people are lost and going to hell? And like God has commanded us to take the gospel to all the nations and make disciples of all people? And when was the last time you, you made an uncomfortable sacrifice for the sake of reaching people for Christ and making a disciple? Hey folks, may, may God give us the same life-transforming faith as Abraham. We don't want to be a people who just talk and talk of faith. Wah, 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 wah. But then it really doesn't change everything. We, we want to be a people who fear God, who see Him as He is, and submit to everything that God says because we trust Him, we believe Him, and we must obey Him. Well, I mean, Abraham passes the test. But, but the story's not over. And so, God goes on to tell us that, that not only did, 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 did God test and Abraham obey, finally verses 13 and 14 say that God provides. 
And, and imagine, again, what it must have been like for, for Abraham, who's standing there, and then Isaac, who's laying on top of the altar, to hear God speak these words. And so God finishes, and, and as he does, Abraham hears a sound behind him in the bushes, and he turns around, and there is a ram caught by his horns in the thicket, it says in the text. And Abraham, I mean, he's, I, you know, I mean, maybe he's like, yeah, I, I knew that was coming. But, but he's stunned. And, and so he quickly unties Isaac and takes the same rope over there and ties up this ram. And, and probably together, they, they lift this ram up, they put him on the altar. And, and isn't it fun to imagine the, the conversation that Abraham and Isaac had as they are taking care of that sacrifice, getting that animal up there, and burning it as a sacrifice to the Lord. I mean, they worship God. They give thanks for His blessing and for all that He has done. And Abraham commemorates the moment by, by naming the spot. So, so verse 14 says, Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Now, now that that name, the Lord, that, that phrase, the Lord will provide, is where we get the name for God, Jehovah Jireh. And so, so the verb here, Jireh, is the same verb that, uh, that, that Abraham used back up in verse 8 when he said the Lord will provide a lamb. And now when God does provide the lamb, Abraham names the place the Lord will provide. And so he commemorates the fact that God is faithful in providing a sacrifice. And the narrator then adds for us, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Now, of course, the mount of the Lord there is the mount that ultimately becomes the temple. And, and so someday, someday after Solomon builds the temple, Israel will sacrifice tens of thousands of lambs on this same mountain in an effort to atone for sins. But of course, none of those Irregular lambs could ever fully take care of sin. So, so ultimately, this assurance from God that God will provide a lamb is looking ahead not just to all the, 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 the actual lambs and goats that will die on this mountain, but, but to the sacrifice of Jesus. You know, so just a short distance from Mount Moriah on Golgotha, about 2,000 years after Abraham lived, Jesus would take on himself the sins of the world. He would become the ultimate Lamb of God. And he would fully and finally satisfy God's demands uh, to, to justify us and to take away our sin. He would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and, so, and so God here is giving us a beautiful picture of what Jesus will someday do. And so understand, because Jesus is the only Lamb of God who can take away our sin, that there is nothing you can do. And there is no sacrifice that you could ever bring to God that can take away your sin. But the only, the perfect Lamb of God can do that. And the Bible teaches that, that what Jesus did on the cross can be applied to you simply by receiving Him by faith. So, on Tuesday this week, we, we taught the kids in Vacation Bible School that they can become God's children. They can receive Christ through three simple steps. First of all, you admit that you are a sinner who deserves God's wrath. You have sinned against God, and your sin is so severe 
that it deserves the punishment of God for all of eternity, and there is nothing you can do to resolve it. Second, you must believe. You must believe that Jesus is your Creator Lord, and and that He is the only Savior. And then third, you must forever receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not enough to just say, yeah, He is all those things. You have to receive Him. So have you done that? Have you received Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If not, the Bible says you stand under His judgment. But if you receive Him, He is your Savior and you are safe in Him forever. And so if you have not received Christ, please receive Him today. Just simply admit your sin. Declare your trust in Jesus that He is who He says He is. And receive him for yourself. If you have questions, we'd love to talk with you after service about how you can know Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you are saved, give thanks for the provision of Christ. I mean, we ought to praise God today that God did provide the Lamb. He provided. And then by his grace, let's grow the faith of Abraham. I mean, it will transform your life. Now, it won't always be easy. It certainly wasn't easy for Abraham here. But Jesus will always be worth it. He will always be worth it. And he will always be worthy of anything that he demands of you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this incredible story. We thank you especially today for Jesus Christ. That you did provide, you did answer your promise in the most significant way possible. And ultimately sending Christ through the line of Abraham to die for our sins, to take them away, and to provide us with salvation. Lord, I pray that if there are any here who do not yet know Christ as Savior, that today they would receive him and be born again. And for those of us who are saved, God, I pray that you would give us grace through your spirit, that we would trust you like Abraham, that we would fear you, reverence you, And that, Lord, we would not withhold anything from you, even the most difficult sacrifice imaginable. And, Lord, by your grace as well, help us to die daily. Help us to be willing each and every day of our lives to do whatever you want, to obey your will, and give us a clear vision of your glory and power and your eternal reward. And so help us to honor you, please you, and walk by faith. God, give us this grace to do that even this week, to please you and to honor your word. In Jesus' name, amen.